We're going to come now to the next in our series in the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. We're going to be going all the way to chapter 2, verse 5 today. So Colossians 1, you can look up on the screens, turn on your Bibles, turn in your Bibles, whatever you do to get God's Word in front of you, and I will be reading it out for us. Hear the Word of the Lord to us today, starting in Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down and let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, as we just sang... We want to receive your word. We want you to speak to us. We know that your word is living and active. So now, Lord, help us to calm our minds, to concentrate, to hear what you are saying to us in and through your word. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, everyone loves a good mystery, do they not? You know, some... Months ago, my wife bought a series, an audio series, from the Adventures of Odyssey um, kind of conglomeration over there. It's called The Blaggard File. So you kids, some of you know Adventures in Odyssey, especially some of you older, young adults, you probably know Adventures in Odyssey. It's been around for a while. And when she bought this, these Blaggard Files, this series of mystery stories, I thought, you know, this is for kids. That's going to be good. We're going to have to listen to those in the car as we're driving. Um, Parents know what I'm talking about. I heard a couple murmurs over here. Um, So I didn't think I'd be much into these. But boy, was I wrong. (laughs) These stories are amazing. They were well-written. They capture one's attention, especially someone of my age, apparently. And we don't have... These are a little bit older stories, so they're on CD. We don't have CDs, like CD players around our house, so really to listen, we had to go into the car. 
And all of a sudden, I find, found myself, I, I wanted to go in the car all the time. Sarah, Sarah needed something at the store. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go get something at the store. Kid needed to be dropped off at practice. Yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go take the kids to practice. It got to the point where I was really looking for opportunities to get into the car. One time, I didn't even have an opportunity or a reason to be in the car, so I just started driving around. I did take a kid with me to f- kind of justify myself. But I was just driving around, listening to these stories, wondering how it would end. So maybe adventures and odyssey aren't your thing, depending on your age. Maybe you're an Agatha Christie person, maybe a Sherlock Holmes person, or maybe if you're a particular age, you're a Scooby-Doo Halloween mystery person. Whatever the case, a good mystery is hard to beat. And why is that? Why are good mysteries hard to beat? I believe it's because all great mystery stories captivate us with the suspense. We are curious by nature. We want the inside track. We want to figure things out, especially if we can figure things out before someone else does. We want to be in the know. Well, today's passage reveals to us the true ultimate mystery of the universe, It will show us why we don't need to be searching out for other mysteries, other ways of trying to understand the world, other secret knowledge that we might be missing out on. If you're new here with us, by by way of reminder, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. He's never met this church. It was planted by Epaphras. And he is writing to them, it's a fairly strong and healthy church, they're newer believers, but fairly strong and healthy, and he's writing to them because there is a harmful philosophy that had come to Colossae. We don't know exactly what it is, some sort of false teaching that was threatening to derail their faith. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians to strengthen them, to assure them that what they learned about Jesus was enough, that they didn't need to search out new teaching or any kind of hidden insights. And in our passage today, Paul is explaining more fully what is his role in the Colossians' life, in the Colossian church, those he hasn't yet met, and what does it mean that he's a minister of the gospel, a servant of the gospel, and a minister, a servant of the church. So the call of our passage today, I believe, is this. It's the same call to the Colossian church. It's the bullseye that I believe the Lord wants us to shoot for. If you're taking notes, it would be a good time to write something down. It's this. Stand firm in the revealed mystery of Christ. Stand firm in the revealed mystery of Christ. This passage breaks down into three sections for us, and each section will show a way that we can stand firm in this mystery of Christ. Three ways to stand firm in the mystery of Christ, and that's by rejoicing, by growing, and watching out. These three ways, rejoicing that the mystery has been revealed. We'll see that in verses 24 to 27. Growing in the knowledge of this mystery verse 28 through chapter 2, verse 3, and then by watching out for those who distort God's mystery. That's verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. So that's how it's going to break down. That's where we're going. But So how do we stand firm in the revealed mystery of Christ first by rejoicing 
that the mystery has been revealed. You see, in Scripture, the word mystery does not mean what it exactly means to us. It's not exactly an Agatha Christie mystery. Most often, it refers to the hidden plans and purposes of God himself. We don't find out these mysteries on our own. It's God who has to reveal them to us. So here, we learn three things within this section of the rejoicing the mystery has been revealed to us. We learn three things about God's mystery in verses 24 to 27. If you look there in verse 24, first, this mystery came through suffering. Friends, when God revealed his hidden mystery from all time, it was not received with joy from all who saw it, from all who heard about it. Now, there was great opposition. Paul tells us that he was suffering because of the mystery. If you look at the end of the book of Colossians in chapter 4, verse 3, he says that on account of this mystery, he was in prison. Paul was suffering for this mystery. But was Paul depressed about his suffering? No, no, sir. He was not depressed. If we look here in verse 24, it says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. For your sake. Now, that's a curious way to talk about suffering. I don't know about you, but I don't know the last time I said, Yeah, you know, I'm just rejoicing in my suffering. But Paul rejoiced that God had counted him worthy to suffer for Christ and to suffer for his body, the church. How could Paul have this kind of perspective? It seems just so foreign to many of us, rejoicing in suffering. Well, perhaps Paul was reflecting on the words of Jesus over in Luke 6.23 when Jesus was talking about persecution that would come to his followers. He said, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Paul may have had that in mind. He also may have had in mind that, Paul, that God had called him to suffer as part of his calling. Remember, after Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road, he told Ananias, and Ananias was going to go talk to Paul, and he told Ananias, Jesus did, in Acts 9, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. But unlike most of our reactions to suffering, Paul did not shrink from suffering. He didn't try to avoid it. Instead, he embraced it. So look at the second half of verse 24, another curious verse. And in my flesh, I am filling up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is the church. It's kind of like, whoa, 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 time out. What's going on here? Something is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Some of you are like, I'm never getting past that. You know, you explain that or else I'm not listening to you the rest of this time. And I will explain it. So here we go. Well, we definitely know what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that Jesus' suffering or trials were somehow insufficient for us to be saved. We know that from last week's passage, verse 22 of chapter 1. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. We also know that from the rest of the testimony of Scripture. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect and it was effective. He died once for all for our sins. 
Nothing was lacking in his sacrifice. So what is Paul talking about here? Paul is likely saying that he is absorbing the tribulations that Christ promised would come upon his followers before the end of time. Think Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 24, where he says, You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Or what Paul said to the believers in Acts 14.22, that through many tribulations we must enter God's kingdom. Or skipping ahead all the way to Revelation 6.11, where Jesus alludes to this fact that there are some that will need to be killed for the faith before the end will come. So Jesus, as the head of the church, He so identifies with his people, so identifies with his body, the church, that when his followers suffer affliction or tribulation, he himself suffers. So the what is lacking in Christ's afflictions are the afflictions and suffering that must happen, that will happen to believers before Christ returns. And Paul is filling up or he's absorbing some of those Uh, anointed afflictions for the Colossians and for these churches that he is ministering to. Well, now we cannot say that Paul's level of suffering is what God will ask of us. His was a great measure, much greater than many of us will experience. But I do want us to pause there and consider if we recoil, if we are kind of Uh, put off by Paul's description of rejoicing in suffering, perhaps today the Lord wants you to reevaluate your perspective, to reevaluate your expectations when it comes to suffering and trials and difficulties. Remember what Jesus himself said in John 16, 33. He promised that in this world we will have tribulation. Paul himself in his letter to Timothy said that all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus, will be persecuted. So friends, that means if you are experiencing some level of difficulty because of your faith, some strain of relationship, maybe you've lost a job because you've stood up for Christ, that is normal. That is to be expected. So be comforted in that. Now, if you have not experienced anything of the sort, don't be surprised when such things happen when you seek to follow the Lord Jesus. Your expectations may need to be reoriented. So the mystery came through suffering, verse 24. The mystery also, we learn in verse 25, came from God. This wasn't Paul's creation. Paul did not decide to go on this mission. God gave it to him. Look at verse 25. God made him a minister of the church. Minister there means servant. And he gave him a stewardship, a huge stewardship. That word stewardship is like a, back in the first century, it's like a household manager. You, you have a lot entrusted to your care and you have to be faithful to the master. Paul has been given a stewardship from God. In 1 Corinthians 4.1, he puts it like this. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery, the mysteries of God. 
Paul entrusted, uh, was entrusted by God with a commission, with a stewardship, with a responsibility. So he didn't flaunt his position to the Colossians. He wasn't trying to lord this over them. He was trying to be faithful to God's calling in his life. What was this stewardship, this responsibility? There in verse 25 it says, to make the word of God fully known. So the mystery came from God. The mystery came through suffering, verse 24. The mystery came from God, verse 25. In verse 26 and 27, the mystery was revealed after a long wait. This mystery, says uh, Paul in verse 26, was hidden for ages, for generations, but now it was revealed to his saints. As I was thinking about this, I was trying to illustrate what is something that you all have now that people in the past would have marveled to see. And you know, if you're under 20 years old, there's not a time that you don't know what one of these is. But when I was a kid, it was amazing to think about. We would, we would dream with my friends. We thought, you know, what if someday you could call someone and actually see their face? That would be amazing. I don't think that's really possible, but what if you could do that? Well, now my son, Blake, who's a year and a half, he doesn't know a world that has not had that possible, like FaceTime, Skype, however you want. You can see people at an instant. So he, he kind of will take that for granted. But for me, it was, and still is, quite amazing. Well, what am I getting at? In an infinitely bigger way, not even comparably more bigger way, right now in 22 2022, we are living in a time when God's mystery has been revealed. We should think about that. From the beginning of time, God-fearing men and women were kept from knowing the full plan of God in Jesus. Yes, they had hints, they had shadows, they had uh, some revelation, but they did not know who this Savior was. They didn't know what kind of Savior it would be. They didn't realize He would come from Galilee of the Gentiles, that he would be born to a, a poor woman. The apostle, remember what he says in 1 Peter 1, Peter says this, the prophets learned that they were not serving themselves, but us, in the things that have now been announced through those who preach the good news to us. These were things, these mysteries revealed, this gospel, things into which even angels long to look. Friends, the mystery has now been revealed, not to kings and the most powerful people on earth, not to a select few with the most influence who can get that power and then sell it to others, but the mystery has been revealed to us, to God's people, Jews and Gentiles, people from every race and nationality and language and tribe and tongue. What is this mystery? Verse 20. 7 tells us, it's Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means if you have trusted in Jesus this morning, meaning if He is your Savior, if He is your Lord, that you have turned from your sins and believed in Him, 
Chapter 1 says you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved sons. Your sins are forgiven. And here in chapter, the end of chapter 1, it, it means that Christ lives in you. The living God, the one we marveled at last week who created all things, who sustains all things, who is the head of the church, this one, Jesus Christ, lives in you if you are his follower. That means his fate will be your fate. Since he was raised from the dead, so will you. Go to chapter 3 of Colossians. When he appears, so will you appear with him. The mystery has been revealed. It's a time that prophets and angels long to look to see from ages past. So, friends, rejoice if you have received that mystery today, if you are a follower of Christ, don't take that for granted. You live at an amazing time in history. Many people say, I wish I didn't live in this time of history. I want to be in like 1835 or something like that. This is an amazing time to be alive. This is a time where we live where the mystery has been revealed. A time when angels from ages past wanted to look into this time. Prophets long to look in this time. We live in this time when Christ has been revealed. If you haven't yet embraced this mystery, if you're here checking out church, checking out Jesus, make today a day when all of heaven will rejoice by you surrendering to him. Because this mystery revealed is for all humankind. It's not just for a select few. It's for every single person on earth. So how do we stand firm in God's revealed mystery? It's a big first point. First, by rejoicing that it has been revealed to us. The next way we can stand firm is by growing in the knowledge of God's mystery. So what is this mystery? What is the message of Christianity? What was Paul's message? He tells us in short form in verse 28. It's him, him. Him we proclaim. Everything in our faith revolves around Jesus. Every scripture points to him. The entire, the entire world is about him. We can never move beyond Jesus. This point we are considering, knowing God's mystery, we need to grow by knowing God's mystery. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. It's about reaching maturity in Christ. See, this was Paul's great aim, that the Colossians and all those under his ministry would become mature or complete in Christ. When we think of what it means to proclaim Christ, maybe our minds go to preaching, like what's happening right now. And surely Paul preached a lot. He preached all the time as a key part of his ministry. Remember Romans 10, 14, where he says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching is really important. But Paul wasn't just concerned about the masses. He was concerned about individuals. So look with me in verse 28. He explains how he proclaims Christ, that it involved warning to watch out for and teaching, instructing in the faith. Who did Paul proclaim Christ to? The text says everyone. I love how this breaks down in the original language because it's each man or each person. 
He, he warns each person. He teaches each person so that each person might be presented before God, mature and complete. He was warning every person through his teaching. He was teaching every person. It reminds me of Hope Fellowship's mission statement, which I was reviewing because we have this hope, Discovering Hope event coming on uh, just during lunch. And our mission statement says to joyfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? To ourselves, to our neighbors, and the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. It means that proclamation of Christ, yes, happens through uh, preaching, but it happens on so many different levels. As we preach to ourselves, as we preach to our neighbors and talk to them about this message that Jesus alone can save you. And Jesus alone is the one who can give you life. Well, why did Paul and his fellow workers proclaim Christ? The text says, so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Paul wasn't like some of these traveling preachers that you see around the world today who boast about the number of their converts, how many people made a decision for Christ. Sometimes you see these numbers like, whoa, I don't even know if there's that many people in that town. How could that many people come to Christ? Paul's goal is not to make converts only, but disciples, followers of Jesus who reach maturity so that when they stand before God, they will know that uh, they have fulfilled their calling when these believers stand before God. This wasn't easy work for Paul. Presenting others mature in Christ was a struggle, he says. Verse 29 says, though he was not alone in this struggle, that Christ was with him with all his energy, he says, that he powerfully works within me. In the next verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, he continues to elaborate on this struggle. He's not struggling just for the Colossians, but also for those down the road in Laodicea and anyone else who had not met him face to face, but he still had responsibility for. What was the struggle that Paul had for these believers? We don't know exactly what that struggle was, but it surely involved the spiritual battle that he waged for them in prayer. Remember back in chapter 1 that Paul and his companions were constantly praying for the Colossians, thanking them the gospel had come to them and praying that they might walk worthy of the gospel, of this Jesus. So we know he was struggling in prayer. Epaphras, who planted the church later in the book, was, we're told, was struggling for them in prayer. So this is likely Paul's struggle Elsewhere in his letter to the Galatians, Paul talks about the struggle he has and people's um, being formed into the likeness of Christ. He says, I am in the anguish of childbirth, Galatians 4.19, until Christ is formed in you. It's hard to imagine a more descriptive or painful metaphor than childbirth to describe anguish or struggle. I don't know how Paul knew what it was like to have the anguish of childbirth. All the women are like, hey, you don't know, Paul. You don't know what, this, what you're even saying, but yeah, you're, you're saying something here. The point is that Paul, unlike those who were disturbing the Colossians, these false teachers, he was not a peddler of God's word. He was not a fly-by-night preacher. He had a calling. 
He had a commission. He had a stewardship from Jesus, and he was faithful to seeing it to completion, no matter what, no matter how hard of a struggle it was. Well, you may be asking, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? If he, Paul wants to present everyone mature in Christ, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? Well, it's not merely intellectual knowledge. It's not secret knowledge only for those who are trained at seminary or those who read certain books. If it was secret knowledge, then only a select few throughout all of human history could be mature. Verse 2 of chapter 2, we see some indications of maturity, encouragement, love, understanding, and knowledge. If you look there, Paul says he's struggling that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of Christ's mystery. Don't get me wrong, maturity surely involves our minds, surely involves our intellect. We need to think rightly about God. We need to know right doctrine as it's been revealed through His Word. But maturity cannot stop there and just knowing what is right. It involves our entire being, the way that we love, the way that we encourage one another, how our words, our emotions, our actions reflect Christ. So what does that mean for us this morning, Hope Fellowship? To mature in Christ, you need to know Christ. God's mystery revealed is Jesus. It sounds very simple, but it's harder to obey. Verse 3 of chapter 2 says that it's in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means you don't need to go elsewhere to mature in Him. Like anyone you want to know better, to know Christ, you need to spend time with Him. Spend time with Him, talking to Him. It's what we call prayer, conversation with God. We need to spend time hearing from Him. Where we primarily hear from Him is in His Word, since that's where He speaks to us the most clearly. But God is so gracious to us. You may be thinking, well, you know, I'm a young mom, I'm a young dad, there's, there's not many hours in the day, how am I going to do that? How could I spend this time with Jesus? You may not be a young mom or dad, you may be just in other stage of life thinking the same thing. My answer to you would be, don't put Jesus in that type of box. You can't put Jesus in a box like that, like, check, I read the Bible, or check, I prayed. Sure, you should do that, but not everyone has the same time as others. So how do I not put Jesus in a box? Well, talk to him in the midst of your day. When things are hard, when something happens at work, pray right then. When you have a test coming up, when you don't know how to answer a certain person about a relational, uh, sticky relational issue, talk to him. Download a Bible app. Listen to it as you're driving, or when you're doing some mundane activity throughout the day. Uh, somebody once told me, every time you have to wait for the train, just know that that's God's ordination for you to be praying right then. So, you, you, you know, you, all of us get pretty frustrated when freight trains come by. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, no. But what if you just saw that as an opportunity to pray? God's just saying, oh, I want you to pray right now. 
So don't put God in a box. It, it can be through those ways, but also it's through spending time with members of the body. That's why we have mission groups here at Hope Fellowship. We need to be around people who have Christ dwelling in them. They will sharpen us. They will help us to get to know Jesus better. So what is maturity? Yes, it's knowledge, but it's being transformed so that our whole lives are reflecting the Lord Jesus. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It means that we are progressing towards Christ-likeness. Well, now we come to the final way that our passage shows us how to stand firm in the mystery of Christ, and that is to watch out for those who distort the mystery. Paul reveals why he just emphasized that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's because he knows wolves are among them, wolves in sheep's clothing who are likely claiming some special knowledge, some special insight that they have that the Colossians don't yet have. Maybe they have some fancy degrees. They have some uh, PhDs and things behind their name. They didn't have PhDs back then. Whatever they had. And they're saying, hey, you got to know this. It's good you, learned, you started with Christ. You got to learn this other stuff. Well, in verse 4, Paul says, I say this, that in Christ, or hidden all the wisdom of, uh, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, there is no secret knowledge. There is no VIP line. Don't we love like the VIP line or getting like, the coupon that nobody else can get? Nobody really uses coupons these days, but you know what I'm talking about. We want something special. We want something that no one else gets. If, you, if you've ever been to Disneyland, I haven't gone since I was a kid. I can't afford to. But if I could afford to, I've heard there's a special line. You pay for that special line. And it's kind of like these false teachers. We've got the special line. We've got the VIP pass to the concert. But friends, in Christianity, there is no VIP line. There is no special line. The mystery has been revealed. It's for everyone. You don't need to go into these nooks and crannies to try to find it out. That's what Paul is saying. You have what you need See, this false teaching, these false teachers likely had very persuasive arguments. They were deceiving or deluding people with these arguments. They were likely great communicators. Maybe they had a lot more flash than uh, Epaphras and what Paul is writing to them. It seems very attractive, this new message, but it was very dangerous. And that's how false teaching works. It seems so good. It promises far more than it will ever deliver. It causes you to doubt what you know to be true. It makes you dissatisfied. False teaching works like the devil works, pretending to be true and right, but ultimately seeking your destruction. Paul believes the Colossians are on the right path already. He doesn't want them to move from the solid foundation of Christ. He's not with them physically, he says, but he's with them in spirit, and he's been praying for them in the spirit, and he's rejoicing, he says, not rejoicing now in his suffering, but rejoicing to see their stability, the firmness of their faith in Jesus. 
And as we get to the end of this message, friends, we need to remember that there is nothing new under the sun. There are attacks against your faith each and every day, just as there were in the first century. They may be dressed up a little bit different, but there are new spiritual fads, there's teachings, there's books that claim to have special insight. Read this, you know, eat, eat this special diet and you'll know Jesus better. You know, read this, do this, and you'll have this knowledge that nobody else knows. But remember, we don't need to be swayed by those things. God's mystery has been revealed. It's no longer hidden. And you never need to go beyond Jesus. Maybe today you're here and you feel very alone in your faith. You feel vulnerable. Maybe at work, on your, at your job. Maybe at school, you're trying to stand up for Christ and it feels like there's an onslaught against you. Or maybe just amongst your friends and family and people are trying to question your faith and what you're doing. Remember, friends, that you have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you. Christ is in you, which is the hope of glory. Remember that you know God's mystery and that mystery is Christ. So stand firm in this mystery. How do we do it? Rejoice and give thanks that it has come to you, that it has been revealed, this mystery. Grow in knowing that mystery and watch out for those who would distort it. Everyone loves a good mystery. Friends, Jesus Christ is the greatest mystery the world has ever known. Hope Fellowship, Stand firm in him today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are so gracious to us that you would reveal your mystery, the mystery of Jesus, of Christ in us, to us during this stage of history. We are so grateful that you have done that. Help us to rejoice in that. Lord, help us to grow in you Help us to be on guard against false teaching all around. But Lord, I pray for each and every one here today that they would remember your love, your care, that you are with them and for them, for your name's sake. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.